So this is Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, man. You guys can have a seat. Hey, good morning. It's really good to see you. Hey, by the way, if you didn't laugh or think that video was cute, you do not have a soul. So it's really important that you know that about yourself. Uh, Man, thanks so much for being with us. Really fun to have you. Uh, I want to say a couple things before we jump into this really interesting passage that we're in in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're, uh, if you're not a Christian and you're just checking things out, man, we're really glad that you're with us and we want to try to create a space for you to ask questions and to wrestle with the claims of Christianity. You do not need to believe like we do or, um, or you know, behave like we do to belong to this community. We want you to belong. We want you in. Your questions, doubt, all of that, it's not off limits. So thanks for being with us. And our, our hope, just to put all our cards on the table, is that you would see Jesus really, really clearly. And, and I want to introduce a thought into your head. You are not actually the one that's asking the hard questions, trying to find God, that God is actually finding you. So we, we believe that he's actually, you're, you're the one that he's chasing down in a loving way to, to lavish mercy on, lavish grace on. He's the one that's trying to find you. So thanks for being with us today. Uh, hey, if you're, if you're just joining us, or maybe you're like me and you, you can't remember what happened 40 seconds ago, um, I want to just kind of give you a fill-in of what Ecclesiastes is all about. What is this book of, Bible, the, the, this book of the Bible all about? And to summarize it for you very quickly, it's essentially like a Netflix documentary about someone with a lot of wealth, someone with a lot of influence, a lot of power, and a lot of good looks trying to pursue the good life. This is someone trying to figure out how to find ultimate meaning and satisfaction and pleasure at the deepest, most profound level in this world. And, and we think that Solomon wrote this, although we don't know for sure, but whether he wrote it or not, this is a book about the life of Solomon, who is a very wealthy, very good-looking, very powerful king, uh, years and years and years ago, thousands of years ago, that, that actually went on this incredible pursuit, this journey of trying to find the good life. Now, what's interesting is this. He starts us out with his conclusion. His conclusion is that life under the sun is meaningless. Now, if that sounds bleak to you, if that sounds hopeless, uh, let, me, let me just clarify what that word meaningless means. It's a translation from a Hebrew word that, that is hevel, and that word hevel, it literally is like if I lit a match right now and blew it out, and the smoke were to just disappear in the air, that's what he says life is like. It's this transient, elusive thing that you can't really grab a hold of. It, it's, it, it's hard to grasp, it's temporary, and it's fleeting. And we saw last week what, what Solomon did is he, he took all these different pleasures, all these different things that the world holds out to us and says, here, if you want to find meaning, 
If you want to find significance and pleasure, you need to pursue these things. So things like alcohol, he jumped into that. Things like sex, he jumped into that. Things like money and wealth, he jumped into that. He built a beautiful home, all these different things, and he acquired all of this stuff, and he gets to the very bottom of it, and he says, you know what? None of that, none of that gave me meaning. None of that gave me significance. It brought me temporary pleasure, but when I tried to grab a hold of it, it disappeared. What he's going to do today is really interesting. He's going to pull out a little bit, and he's going to get out of the realm of pursuing pleasures, and now he's just going to open up his eyes, and he's going to watch the world, and he's going to make some observations, and some of the things that he says are really hard to hear. Some of the things that he says we don't want to listen to, but he's speaking honestly about the reality of the world that we live in. And so today what he's going to be talking about is the reality of time. This is not something that he's trying to pursue. This is just him opening up his eyes and making comments about the world that we live in. And so I want you to think about time with me for just a second because this is something that affects you at a, at a deeply, uh, a profound level in, in the depths of your soul. It affects you in so many ways and most of the time we don't even realize it. Uh, there's a guy in Spain, he's one of, the, one of the most prominent living philosophers in Spain named Fernando Savitar, and here's what he says about time. He says, we cannot talk about our lives, ourselves, what we desire or fear, or what surrounds us without reference to time. In other words, he's saying you can't even make sense of humanity if you don't think about time. If you don't think about the reality of time, this world that we live in, and, and you don't process that on a deep level, you can't make sense of most of what is, is you're feeling and what is happening inside of you. And so just think about this with me for just a minute. Time is something that shapes and dominates all of our lives. Uh, we'll say things like this. Where did the time go? Or there aren't enough hours in the day. Or, man, I, I've got too much time on my hands. We'll say things like, I've got plenty of time, kind of in a relief sort of way. Uh, I, I've got to make the most of my time and the sense of there's this urgency. Uh, I, I've been waiting for this time to come, right? We'll say things like, man, I, I wasted all that time. Or, when will my time come? Looking ahead to the future. Or we'll say, out of fear, we'll say, I don't want this time to arrive. I had one of those instances recently. I was watching uh, a younger girl in our neighborhood. She's probably in high school, and she was, uh, she was kissing her boyfriend, and I know her dad, and I just had that dad moment of like, one day my girl's going to do that, and I'm really depressed about that right now, right? I'm just not out of fear. I don't want that time to arrive, right? I'm just not ready for my five-year-old to grow up on me and start kissing another dude. Um, it's going to happen, I know. Uh, and, and, then, and then we'll say finally things like this. Do you remember that time when we fill in the blank? Time is just intricately woven into every aspect of our lives. You and I, like it or not, are creatures bound by time. I remember when I went uh, when I got my certification to go scuba diving, my family and I were go going to do some vacationing in the Keys, and I was stoked about that, never been. And a couple of my buddies were like, you gotta get scuba certified, let's do it. So I did the training, and uh, I'm not a claustrophobic guy. Like, I'm, I'm not a claustrophobic guy, I usually do pretty well. I honestly think I could climb inside of a casket for like 20 minutes and be okay. Um, so just to give you kind of, I, I feel pretty good about my non-claustrophobia, but something happened on my dive certification and I started to get a little bit 
claustrophobic. Uh, we went down deeper than we'd ever gone. It was my first time to do a, a lake dive. We went down and it was murky water, it was hard to see. And we got down to about 75 feet. And, and I had the realization about 75 feet down that like it or not, I'm stuck down here and there's nothing that I can do about it. And if I wanna surface quickly, I can't. I have to surface very slowly because if you know anything about being, uh, if you know anything about scuba, what happens when you go underwater is your, your lungs, they contract like crazy and they get smaller. And if you were to jet up, up water and, and really quickly just rise to the surface, your lungs wouldn't have time to naturally go back to size. They would explode and you would die. And that's essentially how our dive instructor explained it to me. Don't do that or your lungs will explode and you'll die. So I'm thinking about this 75 feet down and I realized, like it or not, I'm bound by this physical reality that I cannot surface and I need to calm down, I need to take a deep breath and I need to just be okay in this moment because I'm stuck down here. Some of you, that's actually how you feel about this world. You're a creature bound by time and like it or not, there are all kinds of things that happen between the time that you're born and the time that you die that you honestly don't have any control over. There are good things and there are bad things. There are beautiful things and there are difficult things. And this guy, he wants to be honest about trying to find the good life. And if we're gonna do that, we've gotta wrestle with this reality that time is something that we are bound by as creatures. And our time on earth is filled with many, many different things. Some things we love and some things we hate. So in this passage, you, you just heard Brandon Live read it to us, but he references time 28 times in eight verses. 28 times he references time. And I love what Zach Eswine says about this poem. He says that uh, th- this is essentially a poem about the delights and the disquiets of time. Think about that for just a second. The world that we live in has delights and it has disquiets. It has things that, is, that, that are beautiful and filled with joy and, and just things that make you stand in awe. And there are things that make you weep. And there are sorrows and there are pains and there's suffering. And our world, from the time that we're born till the time that we die, it's filled with delights and with disquiets. He, he mentions some of these delights like uh, birth, being born. And obviously, you don't remember when you were born, but if, uh, if you've had the pleasure of watching, maybe if you're married and you've, you've had a baby and you've had the pleasure of watching your baby enter the world, it is the most breathtaking thing I've ever seen in my life. No one could have warned me. I had friends tell me, like, you won't even be prepared for how emotional you're gonna be. And, and I remember, like, my wife in a, her 55-hour labor and delivery, true story, she's a champ, 55-hour labor and delivery. It was like we were exhausted. Primarily, she was exhausted. And, and then finally, it culminates in this, this beautiful blue alien coming out. Of, all right, that's kind of what my daughter looked like. But this beautiful baby comes out, and I'm, I'm, I'm able to hold her, and I just lost it. I just started bawling uncontrollably because it's like, this is somehow by some miracle like my wife and I and through our love like we made this baby and now it's like she's her own human and she's got her own soul and she's got her own feelings and thoughts and she's different than me and it's but it, but she's mine I mean this is just there's a time for birth it's beautiful there's a time for planting 
he says. I grew up in Choctaw, which is uh, as country as it sounds. And uh, in Choctaw, I had the joy of actually doing a lot of planting with my dad. So we had gardens, and I remember planting as a young boy and watching these gardens produce fruit. And it was like, man, that is, there's something really beautiful about putting something in the ground like a seed and then later reaping the benefits of that. There's a time for planting. There's a time, he says, for laughter and dancing. Now, if you know me well, you know like I'm the whitest person in the world. I don't dance. I, I can't dance. I wish I could. I just dance. I don't. I can't. Um, everyone else around me seems to enjoy it. I would rather like poke my eyeball out than dance. Um, but I love to watch you guys dance. So that's, that's fun for me. Um, but laughter, man, I love to laugh. I, lo- I don't have a great memory, but I remember very specific detailed instances of being with some of my close friends and laughing so hard I've got tears streaming down my eyes. I I remember those moments because those are some of the most beautiful moments in our world. What about a time for love? Do you remember falling in love? Do you remember when you met that person that you fell in love with, right? I I remember when I met um, Hillary, who is now my wife, and we went on our first date. It was a really awkward date. I don't have time to tell you all the reasons why, but um, super awkward date. But at one point, I, I was so smooth and like, this was just really brilliant what I did. She, she, we were walking together, it was in January, and she looks at me and she's like, man, I'm, I'm kind of cold. And I was like, let me fix that for you. And I reached and I grabbed her hand the very first time that we held hands and I thought man I just freaking killed that right there that was the most romantic let me fix that for you line that was so romantic and I felt so good about myself and then like a few weeks later she's like hey do you remember when you said that like I almost didn't want to ever go on a date with you again that was like the lamest thing that you've ever said it's like okay thanks for that Somehow we still fell in love and got married. So uh, I, just, I just remember, though, like falling in love, being able to hold hands for the first time. It was like butterflies like crazy. And our world is filled with beauty, isn't it? There's a time for seeking. There's a time for embracing. There's a time for healing. There's a time for building up, he says. There's a time for peace. Our world is filled with delights. And yet, that's not all that the world is filled with. If we're honest and if we just look at reality, what we're also gonna find is that our world is also filled with disquiets and sorrows and pain. He says there's a time to die. No one in our culture likes to think about death and we're gonna do an entire sermon on it. If you look at the Victorian era, they never talked about sex and they always talked about death and our culture's reversed that. We always talk about sex and we never talk about death. We're terrified of it. There's a time to weep and a time to mourn. Think about this for you personally, not just in an ethereal way, like in your life, in the next week or month or year or 10 years or 50 years, there's a time that you are going to weep and you're going to mourn. Some of you are there now. There's a time to break down. There's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to lose. There's a time to kill. There's a time to hate. There's a time for war. Now, here, here's what he's saying. He's, he's not giving us marching orders. He's not saying, all right, there's a time that you want to love people, and then there's other times that you just need to kill people, right? That's not what he's saying. He's describing the reality of time under the sun. He's saying there are times that people kill, and there are times that people love. He's not saying sometimes you need to hate people and, and go to war. He's saying, no, there, there are times that war happens, like it or not, and sorrow happens, and hate happens, and relationships fall apart, like it or not. So here's the question, and this is what I want you to get, get, get you thinking about and processing with me. What do we do about time? 
What do we do with it? How do we react to it? How do we respond to it? It's a reality that we live in. Just like me being 75 feet in a lake under the water, that's a reality I have to realize and embrace. How do you realize and embrace this thing called time with all the good and all the bad? Well, I think there's a lot of broken responses that we have to time. Let me just give you a few of them. One of them is a pessimistic fatalism. This is what I call the, the Eeyore syndrome, right? Some of you, this is your friend, right? You're sitting outside, there's a fire pit, you've been barbecuing, it's 75 degrees, it's just amazing, and all your friend wants to talk about is, hey guys, this is great, but you know there's gonna be a time that we die. You're like, hey bro, can we just enjoy this for just a minute? It's 75 degrees out, we're eating ribs. Stop talking about death right now. Don't be such a pessimistic fatalist. Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably gonna rain. It's probably gonna fall over. Why bother? That's some people that you know, some people in this room. Just pessimistic fatalism. What you've done on this list of the delights and the disquiets of time is you've found the, the, the disquiets and that's where you live. So you can't ever drift into the delights. Others of you, you're on the far other end of the spectrum. You are more in line with a delusional optimist. And I say that out of love. Delusional optimist. And this is what I call the Joel Osteen syndrome, right? Man, he is so happy. That is a real big smile. Um, Listen, if you love Joel Osteen and everything I'm about to say is offensive to you, I'm really sorry. You can email me at sevans at (laughs) frontlinechurch.com. Sean would love to read your responses. Um, But here's the thing about this. It's like, man, some of you, you just only live in the delights. Man, if you believe the right way and if you behave and if you have enough faith, then everything is gonna be great. It's gonna be rainbows and Skittles and unicorns and everything's gonna go the way that you want it to go. Think happy thoughts because that's what's really going to count. Nothing bad will be great. You really can have your best life now. The only problem with that is life, right? We've all experienced things that it's like, man, I, I had no control over that. That's not what I wanted to experience. This isn't how I, and, and like it or not, even if you live inside of the, the delight and don't want to do anything over here with the disquiet, sometimes the disquiet comes to find you, doesn't it? Here's another thing that I think many of us do with time. We try to control it. Control is a big thing that many of us drift towards when it comes to time. We're fully aware of the delights. We're fully aware of the disquiets and we don't want these things over here. So we try to just dodge ram it and grab life by the horns. We're gonna control our own existence and make sure that nothing bad ever happens. We're gonna be the captain of our own ship and pilot our own destiny. The only problem with that is that you can't control tornadoes or housing markets or terrorist attacks. Sometimes painful, difficult things happen that you don't have any control over. And then finally, one of the big ones that I think, this is a broken response that we have to time, and this is what I want to call just speculation. So many of us spend a lot of time speculating about the delights and the disquiets, about the future of our lives, what will happen and what won't happen. Um, We speculate about what's going to happen in the future, and that's a lot like having that really annoying friend that when you're watching a movie together, they're always wanting to ask you questions about the movie that you're watching right? The movie that you have not seen. So questions like, uh, what's going to happen? Wait, why is she doing that? Who's that guy? You're like, I don't know. Let's watch the movie and find out. And I think God would want to say that to some of you. 
I don't know. Let's watch the movie. Well, really, God, know, he does know. But if you're asking us, we'd say, let's watch and see. What's going to happen? I, I don't know. Is my life going to go the way? I, I, we really don't know. Let's watch the movie and see what happens. But the other way that speculation comes out is this, and this is actually a more tragic way of speculating. We speculate how God feels about us based on what's happening to us in time. Now, let, let this sink in for just a minute. I'll, I'll move on, but I want to camp here for just a minute. Some of you think that the way God feels about you can be detected by the things that happen in this world. So if you get a job and you get a raise and everything goes according to plan, then God really does feel good about you. But if you get a disease or if something tragic happens or if things don't go the way that you, you intended, then you think that God is really angry with you or he's upset with you or he doesn't want anything to do with you. Guys, I cannot tell you how many times I've been in pastoral scenarios dealing with someone that has suffered tremendously and they'll say like, is it because I did this thing? Like back there, is, is, is God punishing me because I did that thing? They're looking at the events of this world, the delights and the disquiets, and they're basing how God feels about them on what happens in time. If things are going well in life, God feels really good about me. If my life is falling apart, then obviously God is angry and upset and wants nothing to do with me. Speculation. The only problem with that is what we see in the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. He didn't do anything wrong. He was loving God. He was treasuring God. And yet in the midst of that, Job's life fell apart. And, and his friends did really well when they were quiet, but the second that his friends opened up their mouths, they started to say things like, maybe God is doing this because you've obviously done something wrong. God is doing this because you had to have gone wrong. You had to have sinned in some profound way, and God is punishing you in these ways. So what do we do with this? Delights, disquiets, it's the world that we live in. How do you and I embrace and understand time. Well, well, let's ask a better question. Rather than asking how do we deal with the things that come into our lives, let's ask this question. Why do we have these things in the first place? And why do we feel so passionately about the delights and want to maintain them and hold on to them and keep them close? And why is it as human beings, anytime something tragic or sorrowful or something that's painful happens, we reject it and rebel against it with everything in us? Why is it that we're so passionate about the delights and the disquiets, wanting to maintain these forever and never wanting these to happen? Well, it's interesting. He's going to tell us. If you look at uh, Ecclesiastes 3, look at verse 9. After this poem, he says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time or in its season. Also, listen to this, he has put eternity into man's heart. We'll circle back to that in just a minute. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. He says something really interesting here. He says that God has made everything beautiful in its time or in its season. But what is the thing about seasons that is the most frustrating thing of all? They always come to an end. I love fall, who doesn't love fall? But fall eventually has to stop and give way to winter. 
And he says, everything is beautiful. There's a time for birth and love and embracing and forgiveness and healing and building up. But there is a time where that has to stop. And there's gonna be the disquiets that step in and you will die and you will have to let go and you will have to tear down. And what happens inside of us is we rage against that, don't we? We go, no, no, no. We want a world where there is no disquiet. We want a world where there's only delight. We want a world where those seasons, as they change, they don't result in loss and in pain and in sorrow. And so there's something in us that's craving this beautiful, full life without any sort of disquiet. And he explains it here. He says, that's because God has written eternity on your soul. You have inside of you this thing that anytime something pleasurable or beautiful or fun happens, you want to grab a hold of it as tight as you can and never let it go. That's because you were never meant for a world filled with disquiets. When things that are painful and sorrowful happen, there's something in you that just, you, you want to rage and march against that and fight against that with everything in your soul because you were never made for a world filled with disquiets. We have eternity written in our souls. It's clanging around in our hearts like a distant memory. It's like we remember something, a a world that lasted. We remember a world that didn't break down. We remember a world filled with pleasure and delight. We remember a world where everything was as it was supposed to be, where things lasted and beauty kept on going. Zach S. Wine in his great, great book, Recovering Eden, he says, our souls instinctively yearn for a purposed life without end under this time-chained sun. Have you ever wondered why? You yearn for a purpose life that's not going to stop. I love the words of J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote Lord of the Rings, and, and he's, he was writing a letter to, I, I can't remember if it was his son or his grandson or his nephew, but he's writing this letter, and he says this, and I, I love what he says. He says, we all long for Eden, the Garden of Eden, and we're constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with the sense of exile. There's something inside of us that when beauty and and when delight comes our way, it's like, man, this feels familiar, and that's because there's eternity written on our souls. It's like we remember Eden, the world that God made, where there was no brokenness, there was no disquiet, there was no sorrow, and as the seasons changed, beauty didn't go away. So Ecclesiastes, it's poking at this. This man, he's kind of depressed. He's kind of frustrated. And he's opening up his eyes and he's looking at the world and he says, there's a problem here. The problem is that there's some beautiful things that happen, but in a time of life, from birth to death, there's also some really tragic, terrible things to happen. And it's almost like he's asking us the question, could there be someone that could come and fix that? Is there someone out there? And he doesn't give us the answer. He just says, God has written eternity on our souls. He's written eternity on our hearts. Could there be someone out there that could come to bring us what is eternal and lasting? Could there be someone that could take away all the disquiets? And the answer to that question is given in the rest of the Bible, and it's a resounding yes in Jesus. There is someone that came from beyond the sun someone that is not bound by time in the way that we are, someone that actually left the comfort and safety of heaven to enter into the disquiet and the pain of our world to one day do away with all the disquiets of time. Jesus came from beyond the sun, listen to this, to reverse the disquiets of time. 
Have you noticed when you read about the life and ministry of Jesus how he walks up to people and he doesn't stay disengaged, but he actually enters into their disquiet? There's a woman carrying her son at a funeral procession and Jesus, he walks up and he doesn't go, oh, that's really sad that he died. He steps into the pain of that and he says, my world was never supposed to be like this. Hey, son, get up. You're alive now. And he reverses the disquiet of death. He walks up to someone who is sick. My world wasn't supposed to be like that. And he heals them and he makes them well again and, and he reverses the disquiet of sickness. He, he goes to a, a wedding party and they've run out of good wine and, and, and so he, he shows, man, the world wasn't supposed to be like this where we run out of good things and so I'm gonna turn all this water into wine so that we can keep on partying. He reverses the disquiet of time. Not only that, but Jesus he fully, and this is one of my favorite things about him, he fully experienced all of the delight and all of the disquiet of time that you and I experience on a constant basis. If you're sitting there thinking he can't understand, he doesn't know what it's like, he's this distant deity that can't relate, you couldn't be further from the truth because Jesus entered into and experienced every bit of delight and disquiet that you've ever tasted. He knows what it's like firsthand to lose a loved one. Historians tell us that Jesus' dad, Joseph, his earthly dad, most likely died uh, at a, when J- Jesus was a younger boy. And so we don't really have any mention of him. We think it's because his dad died at an early age and most men in that culture did die fairly young. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus knows what it's like to grieve the pain of losing a loved one. His friend John the Baptist died. He knows what it's like to grieve the pain of that. He knows what it's like to experience rejection and loss and to have people misunderstand you. He entered into all the disquiet. But Jesus also entered into all the delight. He knows what it's like to laugh so hard that your stomach hurts. He knows what it's like to eat a good meal. He knows what it's like to take a good drink of wine. He knows what it's like to enjoy friendship and community. He knows what it's like. He's fully human though he was God. And then finally, here's what he does, and this is the most profound. The whole time he's doing ministry, he keeps saying things like, I came to bring life. I came to bring eternal life. I came to, to, to give you life to its fullest, life abundantly. And he dies on a cross, and he rises from the dead. And that's, that's not just the symbol or a picture. That's in reality a spiritual transaction where all of our sin went on him and he gives us his righteousness and he makes us right with God and he brings us back to the eternal father that we have uh, run and rebelled from. He gives us the life that you and I are craving, the life that we long for, the life that we have always wanted. Jesus comes to connect us back to God. So what does that mean for us? You know, there's all these broken ways that we respond to time. As we said, we try to control it or we try to speculate or we try to kind of just be optimistic about it, pretending nothing's bad, nothing bad is ever gonna happen or we just, we really just live in the pessimism of the difficulty and pain. But here's a better way. A better way because of Jesus. Here's what it means. No aspect of our time on earth is God forsaken. No aspect Some of you need to hear this because you're in the middle of suffering and tragedy and you feel like you are forsaken by God, like he's rejected you and turned his back. No aspect of time is God forsaken. Not only is is the presence of Jesus with you, but Jesus is able to sympathize with you and understand because he's gone through it himself. How many of you ladies, you don't need to raise your hand, but when you got pregnant, those of you that have gotten pregnant and had a baby, 
and, and, and you wanted to like talk with another lady about this, like what's it like transitioning from not being a mom to being a mom and you wanted to dialogue about that and you're asking questions and listening to other people because you want them to sympathize with you and understand. How many of you, when you start a new job, you ask people at that job, what was it like when you got hired on? And, and what were your experiences? What do you love? What do you hate? You're looking for someone to resonate with you and what it's like. Or maybe you're single. Maybe you're, you're not married and you're in a community like this where there's a lot of married people. And so isn't it refreshing to find a single person like you and, and dialogue? What's it like being single? And what's your experience? And you're looking for someone to sympathize Zach Eswine says this, he says, we long for empathy and it's often in short supply. And the whole picture given in the Bible is that God has entered life under the sun and in Jesus taken it all. He is able to sympathize and understand in ways that no one else can. Not only that, but this means that every aspect of our time on earth is being redeemed every aspect of our time on earth is being redeemed. I love this. No aspect of your life, even the bad, even the suffering, even the tragedy, even the loss, no aspect is random or just illogical or pointless. All of it, even the disquiet, is being used by God to refine you and grow you and change you to look more like Jesus and make you depend more on him. So if you're in the middle of a suffering season and you're thinking that God has rejected you because of the time that you're in, listen, that's not the case. God is not rejecting you. If you're in Christ, those things that are coming your way, they've first passed through the good hands of a good father that wants nothing but your good. And even those painful things that are coming, they're not coming because he's punishing you or rejecting you or pushing you away. They're coming to you because he wants to love you and discipline you and change you to look more like Jesus. Do you remember the life of Joseph in the Old Testament? Some of you have never read that story. It's a story in the Old Testament where a guy named Joseph has all these brothers that are jealous of him and they hate him. They hate him so much that they end up actually trying to kill him and then they decide that that's a little too mean. So rather than killing their brother, they sell him into slavery to the Egyptians. These are Israelites, so they sell him to the Egyptians and he's carried off to Egypt, another country. And literally, can you imagine being ripped from your father and ripped from your family and not being able to have a normal life, the life that he envisioned that he would have? And he spends his entire life in Egypt living in this difficult, painful reality where he's misunderstood and he's wrongfully accused of things that he didn't do. And then he's thrown in jail and all these things happen. And through a weird series of events, he eventually becomes the second uh, most powerful man in Egypt and he basically runs everything for the, the emperor known as Pharaoh. He runs everything for, for Pharaoh in Egypt and eventually he gets re, reunited with his brothers and they come to him and they're, they're apologetic and like, hey, we're so sorry that we did that to you. We're sorry for the pain that we've caused and for the tragedy that we brought into your life and listen to his response to his brothers. It's shaped by this reality. He says this in Genesis 50, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Here's what he says. He says, hey, you meant something tragic and, and evil. You meant a disquiet to come upon me, but God actually turned that and used that and wanted that to be meant for good. So even the, the sorrowful things that are happening, God isn't unaware, he isn't distant, he's using that 
and it has a purpose. It's, there's a redemptive purpose behind your suffering. And then finally, the last thing I want you to see, how do we respond to time? How do we live with time? I think because of this, you and I can learn to embrace and enjoy our time on this earth, even the mundane time. So much of life is not spent in the margins of incredible delight or incredible disquiets. Have you noticed that? Right? There is a time that you're born and there's a time that you die, but there's a lot of mundane time in between that time. And a lot of us, we don't know how to live in the mundane. It's like we, we want to be entertained and we want to we wanna experience pleasure. How do we live in the mundane aspects of life? Well, I think it's actually possible to experience contentment when we learn that ultimate meaning and satisfaction is not found here under the sun and me trying to manage the delights and trying to avoid the disquiets. That's not how I find meaning. Ultimate satisfaction isn't found in trying to control time. It's not trying to, to have my identity uh, found in what time can give me or bring me. When God becomes your God, then time is just this other reality that you get to live inside of and you get to embrace it for what it really is and learn to experience contentment even in the mundane. So what does that practically look like on the ground? Like what does it look like for you to be content in the day to day? And I just wanna specifically speak to those of you who are moms because I think that you, you have to deal with this on a level that most of us guys don't have to deal with. If you're a mom, then your life has significantly changed. There was a time when your relationship with Jesus looked like going to Starbucks and opening up the Bible and reading and praying and listening to music and being moved by God in those profound ways. And none of that's bad. I, I hope you get more of those times. But now your time is like you're changing diapers, and you're yelling at your kids, and that's okay. No one's judging, all right? We've been around them too. Yell away. And, and so, like, you're, 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 you're saying no 50 times a day, and, like, what does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus and the mundane aspects of motherhood? Well, there's this guy named uh, Brother Lawrence, and he has a phenomenal book that every mom should read um, with all that free time that you have on your hands called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he says some things in this book that I think are so freeing, not just for moms, but for all of us, learning how to embrace the mundane aspects of time and just enjoy the good gifts that God has given. Here's the thing about Brother Lawrence. He was a monk at a Carmelite monastery in Paris uh, years and years and years ago. And most people, when they think of a monk, they think of someone who is able to just spend hours and hours in prayer, just nothing but seeking the face of God. But that wasn't the case. This monk, his one job was to basically cook the food and do all of the dishes. So he was the guy that cooked the food and then went to the kitchen and spent hours cleaning dishes. Not the life that he probably thought he would get when he signed up to be a monk. Oh, you wanna be a monk? Great, clean some dishes. And here's what he said about learning to embrace the mundane. God does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces past and present that he has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loud he is nearer to us than we think. How do you enjoy life? Well, here's what he says. He says, hey, there's this thing called time. 
God, who is outside of time, came in to redeem it and to do away with the disquiets and to bring us delight. So in the meantime, while we live in the middle of delight and disquiet, learn to just embrace what God has given you. And if it's motherhood or if it's your job or if it's this or that, learn to embrace it. And when, when you think of God, just, just say a prayer. And when you experience a sorrow, bring that to God. And when you have something that's delicious, tell him thanks. And just as you go about your day, while you're doing the dishes and while you're changing diapers, just take a step towards him. And there you find mercy and there you find grace. That's how you enjoy this life under the sun because of what Jesus has done.